When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder here from Silver and Black Pride to bring you another edition of the, the Behind Enemy Lines podcast. I've got my friend Justin Heyer here from the Finsider, SB Nation site that covers the Miami Dolphins. We're going to be talking all things Dolphins and all things Raiders today. But first things off, Justin, I just want to thank you for coming on, man. How are you doing? Hey, I appreciate you having me. I'm, I'm doing good. I'm excited to be here, excited to talk some, some Dolphins Raiders. Obviously, it's going to be a a big matchup for us both, both teams uh, aiming for the playoffs this year. So this is this is a big one. I'm excited to break it down. Well, yeah, I mean, I you bring up the my first question, which is I kind of like to start things off generally, you know, now that we've had a couple of regular season games, obviously a full off season, how are you feeling about the Dolphins? You know, they were 10 and six last year and just missed out on the playoffs. Are you, you feeling confident about their playoff hopes so far this year? Yeah, I mean, I mean, expectations were high, obviously, going into the season. Dolphins going into year three of a rebuild, a second-year quarterback, fifth overall pick, who was supposed to make the leap in, in Tua Tungavailoa. And like you said, coming off 10-6 and six with a head coach who was you know, nearly a coach leader candidate, I was feeling really good going into the season. There were a couple of holes through the roster, a couple of you know um, pressure points that, that fans are certainly nervous about. And through two games so far, those are kind of manifesting. I know we're going to get into the nitty gritty of rosters and matchups and, and things of that nature. But week one, a very close win against New England, kind of needed a miracle play from uh, Xavier mm-hmm. Howard to force a fumble at the end to seal the win. And then last year, uh, last week, getting trounced by Buffalo, where really nothing went right. Uh, it, it's a mixed bag of feelings as a Dolphins fan. And I know most of... Dolphins Nation is kind of hoping this could be a bit of a bounce back, get right matchup this week, but the Raiders are, uh, the Raiders are rolling. So I'm, I'm very cautiously uh, optimistic <laughs> and certainly quite a bit nervous. Hey, I hear you, man. So I, I'm just curious before we get into the nitty gritty, like you talked about, um, obviously yeah. you like to have the Dolphins at the top of the division, right? But I'm curious, is there any sort of like moral victory or does it feel better to not be chasing the Patriots for once, like to be chasing someone else and feel like you kind of have a chance? Going into Foxborough week one and beating New England, I mean, that was that was a highlight for sure, which is <laughs> it's kind of sad that a week one win was a highlight of the past couple of years. But you're right. I mean, not having to stare at Tom Brady up there and saying, oh, well, we're all playing for second place certainly feels good. Now, Buffalo, as evidenced by last week, clearly this, the, the superior team of the four in the AFC East. And so I think we're still kind of looking up <laughs> and at this point, potentially playing for second place, but the season is young. So yes, there's a bit of a moral victory there. I can't lie. Well, I think we got to kind of start off talking about the elephant in the room. What's going on with Tua, man? Is, is there, what do you think the chances are that he's going to play on Sunday? I mean, is he healthy or what? Right now, it really seems like 50, 50. Uh, There was no broken or cracked ribs, no cartilage damage. This is about pain tolerance. And so Brian Flores mentioned potentially putting a flak jacket on, uh, to ease up the pain, but the bruised portion of the ribs are on his throwing side, which obviously could impede his, his ability to make the, all the throws and to, to hit downfield and to be accurate. So over the course of the week, I'm sure we're going to get 
very detailed updates about how to his mechanics look in practice and about what the pain tolerance is like. I'm sure Flores is going to be asked, uh, you know, at nauseum during press conferences, how's he feeling? How's he feeling right now? It really seems like 50, 50, this is not going to be a long-term thing. This is not going to be an all season long suffering kind of thing. This is just over the next couple of weeks. Can he manage the pain well enough to play? I will say apparently Tua pushed to come back in last week and the medical and coaching staff held him out. Um, and so at this point he wants to play. He's a tough kid. We all know, but the hip injury he went through and how he came back from that, he's tough. So he's going to push. It's just a matter of whether or not the coaching and medical staff thinks he can do it while, you know, fighting through the pain. Well, since it's 50, 50, let's, let's talk a little bit about both scenarios, right? Let's how confident are you in Jacoby Brissett as a starter after watching him for what, a little bit more than three quarters last weekend. And then, um, you know, what kind of, uh, what does he bring to the table that Tua doesn't? And then the other way around, you know, what would they be missing with, uh, without Tua and with Brissett in? Yeah, the offense looked different. It really did. And I think Jacoby Brissett, uh, as people are looking back on that game, is sort of getting the short end of the stick. He didn't score any points, but it, it was not his fault. He played uh, what I'd maybe even call admirably under the circumstances. The offensive line for Miami, and this is not an exaggeration, was historically bad on Sunday. <laughs> they let up pressure on 70, that's 70%, 70% of Jacoby Brissett's passes. He was, he was under pressure. That's unbelievable. So uh, given what he was working with, he played pretty admirably. The main difference, the main advantage he gets over Tua, and you can actually see it, is the experience. He's able to sense the pressure a little bit better. He's also quite a bit bigger. So he's able to shake off a tackler a little bit better. He's certainly not as athletic and not as fast, but there's a certain sense of poise that he has, despite the fact that he was getting rocked on a regular basis. That said, he is nowhere near the natural talent of Tua. And that's also pretty clear. You can see it in the passes. Tua was able to hit throws that Jacoby just can't. Um, that, you know, so if we're talking about both scenarios, obviously I'd like to see Tua out there. I'd like to see him keep progressing take the lumps, take another step, you know, week to week, he certainly looked better in the preseason than he did last year. Week one, we saw a little bit that we didn't see from him uh, last year. And I'd like to see him keep taking steps, but if he can't make the throws, I'm not, I'm not um, desperate. I'm not getting too crazy concerned about Jacoby being back there. He's a top five backup in the NFL. He started plenty of times and he's got a lot of weapons. Waddle looked great. Parker has looked really solid so far. So uh, my preference is Tua. If he can go, I'm not panicking if he can't. Gotcha. Well, let's say he can play. Um, you know, it kind of comes with a bit of a territory of being like a high profile draft pick and really just a starting quarterback in the NFL, but he's faced a lot of criticism over the last year. Plus, um, yeah. do you think that criticism has been justified or are people just expecting too much from him? In part criticism justified in part. Uh, there have certainly been times where, you know, there's a head scratching rookie player too, where you're like, you know, why didn't he see that open guy? Why is he locking onto the first read? That kind of thing. But I mean, the criticism is measurably amplified by the fact that Justin Herbert, who went one pick after had a historic rookie mm-hmm. season and all yeah. Dolphins fans. I know it's like a, it's like a painful sore subject, but I mean, listen, credit where credit's due. Herbert has looked phenomenal. He looks like a franchise guy. And when you have a quarterback who went right before, who doesn't quite look the same and who also has a coaching staff who had him on a short leash, pulled him twice, you're going to get that kind of criticism. So some of it is deserved, but 
in a lot of ways, Tua, of all quarterbacks, saw this stat the other day, all quarterbacks who have come in since 2019 who have started significant games, Tua has the best win-loss record, right? I mean, it's not like he's been abysmal. He also he had an 11 to 5 touchdown interception ratio. His, you know, his, his yards per attempt were, were not terrible. Um, in fact, they were kind of average. A lot of his statistics are just kind of average. And you don't want average when you're a fifth overall pick. So his criticism justified in that sense, sure. But you still see the flashes of brilliance, the flashes of magic. You saw it last year against Arizona when he had the comeback win. You saw it against Kansas City when he almost had a comeback win. He still is that same accurate playmaking, you know, consummate leader, uh, fantastically accurate quarterback in many of his throws that we saw at Alabama. It's just the NFL game is a lot faster. And, uh, you know, he's had an abysmal offensive line. So some of it justified, some of it, I think, is certainly overblown. Yeah, I mean, you bring it up, you know, his numbers were kind of kind of average, which obviously, like you said, you want to have better than average, but average for a rookie is nothing to scoff right. at, right? Like if you're above the Mendoza, if you're at or above the, Men- just above the Mendoza line, that's not a bad year, but yeah, definitely see where you're coming you know, from. Coming yeah. off a catastrophic hip injury and yeah. having no preseason, like that stuff matters too, you know? Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious, where have defenses given him trouble and what types of defense or defenses or looks does he kind of like pick apart in, in his young career? And maybe the same question for Brissett too, if, uh, if you know enough about him at this point. Yeah, so with with Tua in terms of the things that he struggles most with, when he faces heavy pressure, you can see the panic a little bit, the rookie panic, right? Where he is just trying to find a way to get rid of the ball. Um, He doesn't quite throw it away fast enough when he is under that kind of pressure. And by the time he is trying to throw it away, it's sometimes too late where he's taking a sack or you saw it in the New England game, he threw it away too late and it ended up being a pick because he was being thrown to the ground while he was trying to throw it away. Um, so there's certainly a bit of holding onto the ball too long when he's under that kind of pressure. Now, where he's going to pick you apart is over the middle of the field, the quick hitter throws. He's surgical in that way. And so we saw it, uh, certainly in New England a couple of times where he had Devontae Parker or Jalen Waddle doing crosses over the middle of the field, and he will hit them right on target, right on stride, and Waddle will then run for another 15, 20 yards. And in, in that way, um, he is surgical. He also has a pretty darn good deep ball. They just haven't been, you know, they haven't let him unload it last year. It was because the offense, it seemed like Chan Gailey didn't want him to the offensive coordinator who is no longer with Miami and against new England and certainly Buffalo. I mean, there was just no time. He was, the pressure was in his face, you know, within half a second. And so there's no time for, for routes to develop downfield. So if you want to rattle him, the heavy blitzes seem to be the way to do it. Um, but if you're giving him any kind of time and you leave the middle of the field open, he will, he will be able to, to pick you apart with Brissett, uh, not necessarily quite the same skill set. And I, you know, if I'm honest, I certainly didn't watch all of his Indianapolis starts. Right. So I wouldn't be able to give you a, a play-by-play breakdown and Buffalo was certainly no measuring stick as to what his, <laughs> his ability is. Um, but same kind of thing where, you know, I mean, if any quarterback is under that kind of pressure that he faced in Buffalo it's going to be tough for, uh, for him to deal with. But um, he, he, again, he did a pretty admirable, admirable job given the, the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, you, you brought it up a few times. We're talking about the offensive line and, you know, how much they've struggled. And I'll be honest, I feel like this matchup, Miami's offensive line versus Las Vegas' defensive line, is a matchup that kind of heavily favors the Raiders right now. So I'm curious. If, um, 
Yeah, I was just about to ask you. I mean, what are your thoughts on that matchup so far heading into the game? I'm I'm nervous uh, <laughs> about about Miami's tackle situation. So the offensive line is the story of the week, right? Barry Jackson of Miami Herald put in an article today that said the Dolphins are considering all the options at this point because that that was, like I said, a historically bad showing. So the offensive line going into last week with all the starters. Austin Jackson, 2020 first-round pick, who has struggled quite a bit at left tackle. Solomon Kinley at uh, left guard. Michael Dieter at center. Robert Hunt, 2020 second-round pick at right guard. And then veteran, the one veteran on the line is Jesse Davis at right tackle. All of them were pretty poor. Michael Dieter has done okay at center. He's been the team's best alignment so far through two weeks. And Liam Eikenberg, uh, this year's second-round pick, came in uh, when Jesse Davis had a knee injury at the end of last game for um, – for him at right tackle. So it seems like that line, that combination is probably going to change going into this week. They're talking about benching Solomon Kinley at left guard. They're talking about moving Austin Jackson to guard. They're talking about um, moving uh, Robert Hunt. They're talking about Liam Eikenberg coming in as another starting spot somewhere. So it seems like that's going to move. So in terms of exact matchup, I can't exactly tell you. What I will tell you is that in terms of whoever's at tackle, no one's been good enough. And so I'm nervous (laughs) about uh, Carl Nassib and Max Crosby because two of them have looked pretty, uh, you know, pretty solid through two weeks. They certainly, um, you know, throughout each of their careers have been able to dominate games. So that tackle versus DN matchup is something Dolphins fans should worry about and Raiders fans should be excited to see. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I'm sorry for you, but I, I got to be honest, I kind of <laughs> like hearing, I kind of like what you're saying here, Justin. But uh, I'm just curious, man, what's been the issue up front Is it for the Dolphins? Is it like a lack of investment, draft picks just not panning out, free agent signings not working, or a combination of both? Like, how is that? What's kind of been the, the crux of the issue? Hey, go on Dolphins Twitter and everyone will have a different answer <laughs> for true. you because it seems to be everything. But it's certainly not lack of draft capital investment. I mean, that offensive line is – it's a first-round pick at left tackle – there's two second-round picks fighting for starting spots. There's a fourth-round pick who's right now in a starting spot and a third-round pick who's in a starting spot. What seems to be the issue is lack of identifying guys who are going to develop at the next level and lack of development once these guys are picked. There were Dolphins fans also who felt like the team waited a little too long and picked a mid-tier tackle. Let's say if you go back to Austin Jackson's draft class, Tristan Wirfs has been stellar. Um, Jedrick Wills has been stellar. Mekhi Becton, when healthy, has been stellar. And then they waited instead of moving up and getting their guy. That's certainly uh, an issue when we're looking at left tackle right now because Austin Jackson has been one of the worst tackles in the NFL. He was picked 18th overall uh, just a year ago. So that's a problem. In my opinion, also, not enough um, free agency capital cap resources are going into the O-line. And I totally understand that when you look at free agency, generally the best linemen don't make it that far. But you look at a team like Kansas City and they're making it work anyway, right? They traded for Orlando Brown. They went out and spent money on veteran guys who they've been able to plug and play. Miami has not done that and has had the ability to do so. So you can look at any number of factors and say that's the reason the O-line is not working out. But lack of commitment in free agency and lack of ability to go up and get a premier asset instead of one of the mid-tier draft assets is are probably the two big ones on my mind. And one other thing I'd point out is that it's really young. It's a really, really young O-line. You have three guys who are second-year players 
And one guy who hasn't played center since 2016 is now at the, the starting center. And so when you're talking about identifying blitzes and calls, like things like that, you know, it could just be, and obviously Dolphins fans hope is that there just needs some more time, but we'll see. Well, you bring up, you know, the, the Austin Jackson's offensive tackle class. I'm curious. and I know it's early, but is there any, is there a little bit of regret about taking Jalen Waddle over Penny Sewell? Oh man, I was, I was just talking about this <laughs> today. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, m- maybe. Uh, Panay Sewell has looked great for Detroit, right? Goff had a lot of times to throw yesterday in the first half. Um, that being said, I'm very confident that Jalen Waddle is going to be a very good football player for a very long time. Uh, I mean, this is this is a guy who has all the talent in the world. He, he really does. We saw, I don't know if you remember, there was a leaked clip that came out of Jacksonville's war room uh, when they were doing some of yep. the draft promotion where they had him as the highest graded guy on the board next to Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. So no, because I think Jalen Waddle's that talented, but kind of because I'm seeing Tua <laughs> get thrown to the ground and have bruised ribs because he doesn't have any protection. And yeah. then, you know, if they took Panay Sewell, you'd see Mac Hollins starting outside right now. And Dolphins fans would be saying, why didn't we invest in more wide, <laughs> you know, wide receivers? So it's a bit of a double-edged sword, but it's yeah. certainly tough to see Goff have tons of time and to have his ribs because there's no protection. So Yeah, definitely is a catch-22. So I'm just curious, yeah. you know, before we move on, uh, you know, what about the rushing attack? I mean, obviously the, the pass blocking is going to stand out a little bit more because it is a it is a passing league and that's what people are going to talk about, but I'm curious, you know, are they better against the run or is it about the same? You know, what is that? How does their ground game attack um, work, work up front? You're talking about Miami's offense still? Yeah. Miami's offense. Like how has their offensive line performed uh, as run blockers? A little bit better. Uh, Running lanes have certainly been a little bit better than, than uh, pass protection, but that's not saying there's not a high bar there. It's not saying a whole lot. (laughs) There's not enough push. Um, certainly in the interior right now, you know, as, as we'd like to see, I mean, doesn't have, um, a superstar running back, but Miles Gaskin is, is certainly serviceable and has shown plenty of flashes. So, uh, there has not been enough, particularly in the short yardage ground game. We saw it several times, uh, against Buffalo where Miami just needed a couple of yards for a first down on a third or fourth, and they tried to run it and there was just no push. There was guys in the backfield right away. So, not a whole lot better. I know that the Raiders D line, you know, a lot of the names are on the edge, um, but you still have some capable players there in the middle. You know, to talk about a guy like Jonathan Hankins. Right. So uh, they might be, you guys might have the edge with the interior too. The whole, the whole front five, <laughs> when you talk about Miami's offense versus the Raiders defense, probably goes to Las Vegas at this point. I'm liking what I hear. I, I know it's bad news for you, but I'm, I'm still It'll get better for us when we move to other positions. Yeah, yeah. we'll go. Oh, yeah, well, let's, let's, uh, well, let's move on now. Let's move talk about some of the, some of the offensive weapons, the skill guys from Miami. Uh, when, you know, brought up Jalen Waddle, so let's start with him. I'm a big draft nut, so I'm just kind of curious, you know, how, how he's even doing you know, early on in the season. Is, is he already a big enough piece in Miami's offense that Raider fans should be worried about him? He's been as advertised. He's been playing each game. I think he's played between 60 and 80% of the snaps uh, from week one to week two. And when you get the ball in his hands, man, he is dangerous. He really is. Uh, There was, I think, one drop at some point in New England, but then he made up for it right away with a highlight reel catch. And he's not just you give him a screen and hope he gets 15 yards. I mean, there was one of these plays 25, 20 yards downfield where he just went up over the cornerback and, and, and took it down. So, 
he's been as advertised. I've been really excited, and I hope they get him the ball as many times as possible. Um, you know, when you look elsewhere on the receiver core, Devontae Parker is still as, as solid as they come. When you're talking about one of those 50-50 contested catch guys, and obviously is a, a headline for a lot of Dolphins fans, Will Fuller, who missed week one finishing a suspension, and then week two with a personal matter, is apparently now back with the team. I wouldn't be surprised if he's on a bit of a pitch count just because he barely practiced with Miami. He had an injury during training camp. But you put him in there, and then Parker Waddle-Fuller, that's what Dolphins fans have been salivating for all offseason long. So um, in terms of skill positions, Miami's wideouts and pass catchers versus the Raiders' secondary. I think I'd probably give the edge to Miami, especially when you start throwing in like Mike Gusecki, you know, one of the the top playmaking tight ends in the NFL in there. There's a lot to work with so long as there's time to throw. Yeah. We bring up Devontae Parker. And so I just have a question for you. Does he catch anything other than like go routes and back shoulder fades? I swear to God, every time he pops up on my TV screen, that's what he's doing. That's certainly where the NFL red zone highlights are going to have him because that, I mean, that's where he's at his best and most exciting. You could put him up against just about anyone in the NFL in terms of contested catchability. And he's right up there. Now he doesn't have the most polished route tree in the NFL. The dolphins though, are actually using him a lot of times though, as like this, I don't want to say big slot, but they'll use him in like these slants where he'll just box out the cornerback when the team needs seven or eight yards. Um, And he's just too big for smaller corners to get when he, uh, when he cuts on inside routes. So they'll use him then too. Certainly though, the most exciting plays you'll see are like the ones you're saying where he'll either run a go route or a post um, towards the middle of the field or towards the sideline. And he just, you know, jumps higher and reaches <laughs> further than whatever corner or safety is on. him. So I'm curious, have you been seeing the, you're talking about the, the Dolphins use um, Parker more in the shorter areas. Have you been seeing that more with like Jalen Waddle in the mix now? Is that kind of impacted? Uh, is that how he's impacted Parker and kind of opened things up a little bit now that they don't need Parker to win or be their only downfield option? Absolutely. Uh, Jalen Waddle certainly opens up the offense quite a bit. Um, and that's also part of the reason they're doing that is because that's to his strength, right? Is he, he is pinpoint accurate on those intermediate throws. And so if you're able to get a big body with a big catch radius like Parker in there, because the teams were, you know, the defense is right about Waddle blazing by that, that certainly helps, right? Cause then you don't have the safety cut, you know, coming in and, and hammering Parker over the middle. So that certainly helps, but there were definitely a variety of routes with both of them uh, over the course of those two games. I'm curious how to see how they're, they're going to do that against Las Vegas, because in terms of comparing secondaries, I'd probably give New England and Buffalo the edge in terms of secondary talent over Vegas. So I'm hoping to see that there's a little bit more um, with Miami's aerial attack because it was, I mean, they won against New England, but the aerial attack was by no means, you know, on fire. So hopefully this is a week where they can start to get that a bit more on track. Gotcha. So Mike Giusecki, to me, he's always been this guy, like going back to his days at Penn state, that's been like an athletic freak. And he was productive last year. He had a pretty good year last year. So I should give him a little bit more credit than I'm, uh, than I'm about to, or as it sounds like I'm about to take away from him, but it seems like he's never really been able to put it together for a full season. Do you think that this is the year that he finally puts it together and kind of what does he bring to the table? And, you know, what have you, what are your thoughts on him uh, as he is enters year four? I mean, you're right. And it's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating as a Dolphins fan because he hasn't entered or really even necessarily approached the Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, George Kittle tier 
and he hasn't quite broken into the you know Mark Andrews, T.J. Hawkinson tier either. Yeah, he's like, but he but he has the talent to do so. It's very frustrating because, like you said, it's like never been put together for a, a full season. He'll have games where he's absolutely dominant, where the defense can't do anything to stop him, and then he'll disappear for three weeks. It's very strange. I mean, these past two weeks, I don't, I don't even know if he has. Like, he might have one catch, one or two catches over the first two weeks of the season, and like that, that's unacceptable if you're supposed to be talked about as one of the top, right. you know, seven or eight guys at the position. He is an athletic freak, right? This is a guy who, like Devonte Parker, is going to win every contested catch. Uh, he's also pretty darn fast for a tight end. You put him on a linebacker, he's going to be too fast, too quick. You put him on a safety, he's going to be too big, too strong. But you're right, he does just disappear at times. I don't necessarily know if that's lack of, you know, or offensive coaches not scheming enough balls to him. I'm not sure if it's just, you know, he's losing effort on routes. I, it, it's kind of hard to tell, and it's a bit of an enigma. We'll see. Who generally covers safe uh, tight ends for the Raiders? What's his matchup this week? So it's been in the past Corey Littleton, but Corey Littleton has kind of struggled. They've signed him as a free agent last year. He struggled to cover tight ends la- uh, last year. And then this year he's, I mean, he's been not probably as bad, but still not what we need him to be. And so it's kind of like a mixed bag. They kind of like to throw a lot of different looks. And I mean, with Gus Bradley, they're going to run quite a bit of zone coverage. So they're not going to really man them up too much. I think it'll still be Littleton, um, you know, moving forward. But that being said, like what I was just talking about, he hasn't played well in two weeks, didn't play well last year. I wouldn't be surprised if it's on a short leash. So I could see maybe them going with uh, maybe more like a Jonathan Abram, who's a little bit more aggressive, but it's obviously going to give up quite a bit of size to a Dusecki. So I think the plan will be at least initially to put Corey Littleton on him and like have him take him away and uh, go that route. But then again, like I said, that could change quickly in a matter of a, a matter of a quarter if it's if things aren't going well. Yeah. So I, I, Dusecki is one of the like, interesting matchups because a guy like you said, like you know. I know where Jalen Waddle is going to be. I know where Devontae Parker is going to be. I don't know who's going to be covering him. Obviously, it's going to be Casey Hayward and Trayvon Mullen, and obviously the safeties in the back end. But I don't 100% know what they're going to do with Kaseki. I don't know if KJ Wright, maybe they put uh, him on him a little bit more. But yeah, he's an interesting guy. And I think uh, somebody that I really think could be an X factor and make a difference for the for the Dolphins, even with all those other talents. So. But to follow so maybe up. Maybe this is the week. Maybe this yeah, is the week maybe. that he, uh, he bounces back. We'll see. Maybe this is the week I can finally play him in fantasy football, right? <laughs> this w- this would be a good bounce back week to do so if you have no if you have no other options. Though I know yeah. he probably hasn't instilled much confidence over weeks one and two. So I just got to follow up with you. Why the hell? And I didn't realize this until I was doing research for this. Why the hell does the Dolphins have five tight ends on the roster? Like I Dude, thought the I Raiders. No, I I have no idea. This, I, I'm so happy you brought this up. It makes <laughs> it makes no sense. It's it, to me, it's a waste of a roster spot. I, I, I don't agree. get it. Yeah. I don't get it. I, so, and I, yeah, it's funny. The Raiders have four and I think that's a lot, but I mean, okay. John Gruden likes to use a lot of like 12 and 13 personnel. So it makes sense. Yeah. But five, like you said, like when you only get 53 guys, you have three specialists. So you really only have 50 people on the roster. Five was to me. I'm like, that's 10% of your entire ro- uh, roster right there but as wild, Very strange. So obviously, you know, the Gesicki is the star of the group, but um, the Dolphins, they drafted Hunter Long in the third yeah. round. I like Hunter Long. 
uh, he was very productive at Boston College. And I think if Kaseki prices himself out of Miami's um, free agency range this year, because he's going to be free agent, you could hopefully slot Hunter Long in there to take over. But beyond that, you have three guys, uh, Adam Shaheen, Durham Smith, and Stephen Carter. And to me, they're kind of, it's, a, it's redundant. Stephen Carter, they signed to like, it's like a three-year, $8 million deal or something in free agency to be a hybrid special teams fullback tight end. So sure, he's your special teams tight end. But then Shaheen and Durham Smythe. I mean, Smythe came in, in the same class as Kaseki. He's more of the blocker. I don't understand why they gave Adam Shaheen an extension. That didn't make a whole lot of yeah. sense to me. Um, he hasn't really done a whole lot. He cut one or two touchdowns last year and he's sort of the guy you throw in if anything happens to Gusecki, but he's never lived up to his draft status hype. You can easily slot Derm Smythe or Hunter Long, in my opinion, to do the same thing Shaheen would do. So beats me. Waste of a roster <laughs> spot, in in my opinion. This is nothing against Shaheen as the person, <laughs> although he's created some 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 Twitter controversy that I won't get into over the over the last <laughs> month or two. But to me, waste of a roster spot. And I'd rather see them bring up one of their um, up-and-coming young guys like, uh, you know, Dolphins fans will know a Kirk Merritt. Yeah. He was a preseason star receiver. Would much rather he is the roster spot. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page that because that blew my mind for, for a, a good minute. Yes, but. makes no sense. Yeah, I think it was last year, but the Dolphins seemed to have a lot of turnover at running back where a lot of guys were productive, but it didn't seem like they had their go-to guy until I think probably about midway through or maybe the end of the year when Miles Gaskin kind of took over. So my question is, is Gaskin the guy moving forward? And can you tell me, or can you tell us a little bit about uh, what he brings to the table? Yes, he's the guy moving forward. Dolphins fans were clamoring for Najee Harris. We're clamoring for Javante Williams once Harris went. We're talking about the most recent draft class. Um, and then Denver leaped Miami to grab Javante Williams. Then they were clamoring for Michael Carter, Javante Williams running. Dolphins fans felt like that position needed reinforcement, and they're probably right. Gaskin is a great, in my opinion, complimentary back, someone you want to give 10 to 12 carries. He's also a fantastic pass catcher out of the backfield. Um, but he is not very good in pass protection. I think he had a 14.0 pass protection grade against Buffalo uh, for Rough. from PFF. And that's, but that might've been the weird. highest grade they had. That might've been the highest it, grade it, Miami it, had. Very funny. <laughs> I, it, I mean, it, it was, it was bad, man. So he is not your three down guy. That being said, I'm excited when he gets the ball in his hands. Cause he makes, he makes some explosive plays. Then there's Sylvan Ahmed. He also good in spurts, good in flashes. Not a three-down guy. And then there's Malcolm Brown, who, in my opinion, should not be carrying the rock very often. He's good in pass protection. That's about all I want him doing. He had a fourth and two carry where he was just stuffed at the line. Um, though, again, like I told you, not a whole lot of push up there. So uh, there really is no guy that Vegas fans should be, like, afraid of. Although I'm sure you'll remember that Gaskin had a couple of had a couple of explosive plays last time we played you guys. So when he gets the ball in space, that's when he's dangerous. Trust me, I, I'm still trying to figure out how Fitzmagic completed that pass. I mean, I guess I just answered my own question. Yeah. It was just Fitzmagic. So it, trust yeah. me, I remember last year's game very vividly and remember Miles Gaston. Uh, I think it was Corey Littleton, actually, that missed the tackle. Uh, we're talking about it yeah. um, on him for what, like a 75-yard touchdown. So exactly. That is ingrained in my memory. But uh, <laughs> well, let's pivot to Miami's defense, which I think is definitely sure. the strength of the team. Uh, for them and you know let's flip the order around a little bit and work our way from the secondary up 
And I mean, the Dolphins secondary, like you kind of talked about at the beginning, was is a really impressive group with a lot of recognizable names with Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, Jason McCourty, Eric Rowe. So can you briefly talk about like what makes each of them a little special and what they kind of uh, bring to Miami's defense? Yeah, this is this is where this is where the Dolphins fans can start getting excited again because right. this is the strength <laughs> of the team. This is the this is the top unit is the secondary. Obviously, Xavier Howard is, in my opinion, the top one or two cornerback in the NFL. Byron Jones gets some flack because he got this massive contract in Miami and doesn't really bring down interceptions like X does. But he's certainly um, one of the top covered corners when he's on his game um, in, in the NFL. It's been a little streaky with, with Miami, more so than probably the most offense fans would like given the contract. But that's a that's a top five or six cornerback duo in, in the NFL. The safeties look fantastic so far this year. Jason McCourty looks vintage so far as the veteran leader of the group at safety. And then where most Dolphins fans are probably most excited at this point is with Javon Holland. So the Dolphins took Holland, I think a few spots before Morig, uh, you guys took Trayvon Morig in, in yeah. the second round as uh, as a rookie safety this year. And Holland is the highest graded rookie in the entire NFL right now, offense or wow. defense. He's looked that. stellar. He's looked stellar. He only played 35% or so of the snaps last week, but his, uh, or rather in week one, but his play was so great that he got, he was bumped up like 78% of snaps in week two. And he had a fumble recovery. He was making tackles. He was getting quarterback hits. He's been good in coverage. Uh, hopefully he's going to be one of those chess pieces uh, that can move around to a bunch of different spots and do a bunch of different things in the secondary and there's a ton of depth there too. Eric Rowe is Miami's tight end cover guy, although he was kind of abused by Darren Waller last year. But outside of Darren <laughs> Waller, he's done pretty pretty darn good covering tight ends. Um, you have Nick Needham, Justin Coleman. These are maybe not as much name brand guys, Brandon Jones, uh, but guys who have contributed so far pretty well uh, through their, you know, some of them shorter, some of them longer careers in Miami. So Dolphins fans love this secondary. It's the highest paid and best part of of Miami's team and there are some weapons I know on the Raiders Ruggs is is finally finding his footing Brian Edwards too but I'm certainly giving the Miami uh, advantage to to Miami when we're talking secondary versus weapons yeah I have to tell you like every year or not maybe not every year but like like the last few years when the Dolphins haven't been as competitive like I'll get Raider fans clamoring to like we need to we should trade for Xavier Howard I'm like guys He's, he's not going anywhere. He's not, no, he's Miami's not going to trade him. Like he's that, he's that good. So I definitely hear you. you know, I, I like Miami secondary a lot, but I'm curious if you, can you give me a matchup that you might think, or you think would favor the dolphins and then maybe one this might be a little bit more challenging that might favor the Raiders in the secondary. Yeah. When I'm talking about outside corners, I got to go Miami. I, again, I know rugs and, and Brian Edwards have shown some, some more flashes last week. Uh, and certainly Brian Edwards, we're talking about the Ravens game, but I mean, these are, this is again, top five or six cornerback due in the NFL. It'll be tough for, I think for Carr to hit his wideouts uh, in, in this one. I mean, I think any matchup though, you give to Darren Waller, I don't care who's covering him. Darren Waller <laughs> gets the edge. Yeah. And we saw it last year, certainly against Eric Rowe. Eric Rowe has been a tight end eraser against most teams, but not <laughs> against Darren Waller. So yeah. that matchup to me still goes still goes to Las Vegas. If Miami can maybe double him, maybe they put Javon Holland uh, shadow with Eric Rowe. That might be a good move because I trust Xavier Howard. And in most cases, Byron Jones, 
to do a bit of lockdown on the outside, gotcha. especially because they're not playing these X-Factor top-tier wideouts. So yeah. I'm hoping they find another way to cover in Darren Waller. Well, I can tell you, there's covering tight ends, and then there's covering Darren Waller. I mean, <laughs> he's like, a different animal, man. Yeah. John Gruden, what do you call him? Like the best player he's ever coached, or something? Yeah, like, and I mean, I and normally I think when John Gruden talks, it's not, it's a lot of BS. But I, when he says that, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, this guy, like, it's legit. Like, he is legitimately yeah. their number one receiver. So, I mean, yeah. the bracket coverage, like, I was, you know, I ask everybody that comes on, like, how are you going to stop Darren Waller? Just because I love to hear the answers and hear the, the stuff people come up with. But yeah, it sounds like. Sounds like you kind of you've hit the right answer in my opinion, where it's basically like you just have to bracket coverage with them and hope your corners on the outside don't get beat by by rugs or right. rugs or Edwards. So and then the last question before we move on, and this is more for me personally, just because like I said at the beginning, I'm a big uh big draft nut. What's going on with Noah? And I'm not even gonna try and say his last name, but the corner out of Auburn, you know, I saw he hasn't even recorded a snap yet this year. So he's just not playing well. Is he injured? Like, what's going on with that guy? It took me a while to learn to. It's yeah, we tried together. Igbenogany. 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 Not as bad as I thought, but I never would have got that on my own. Yeah, no, it definitely took me a while. So uh, he just hasn't played well (laughs) to answer your question in all honesty. Uh, They put it last year, Byron Jones missed a couple games and they just threw him into the fire and he was not good. He was really bad. Um, Now, I sort of get it. He has not been playing the cornerback position his whole life. So I understand. That's a pick, though, that I think Chris Greer would, would like to have back. He went all in on, like, ceiling potential, but forgot that this particular player also had, like, a massively low floor because he has very little experience in position. It's like an, it was an all-athleticism pick. You know, gotcha. this is a guy who is, can, can run with the best of them, and if you manage to get the fundamentals and technique down, I'm sure he'd be great, but he's just – he's not there yet. And when you're talking about a, a unit that's the strength of the team, right, where it's extremely deep, I mean, he's, he's just, he's not, he's not cutting it right now. So that's short and simple. That's one I think Chris Greer would like to, would like to have back. Gotcha. Well, I tell you what, you don't have to, you don't have to uh, remind Raider fans about the dangers of a uh, height, weight, speed guys. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> know Mike Mayock has, does, does that quite a bit as well. Mike Mayock and John Green. So you guys get it. Yeah. I mentioned at the beginning part of the show that the Raiders defensive line has an advantage over the Dolphins offensive line. So I've got to give credit and admit that I think the reverse is true when the Raiders have the ball. So how hard is it for opposing offenses to run the ball against guys like Christian Wilkins, John Jenkins, and Emmanuel Agra? Um, it's funny, you know, you, you're saying those are some big names, but Miami's run defense has actually been a little bit of a concern over okay. the past year or two. I mean, Christian Wilkins is a little bit hot and cold as, as a playmaker on the interior. Emmanuel Agra has actually been pretty steady. The Dolphins, though, are massively missing Raquan Davis already. Um, This was a guy who was really ascending towards the second half of last year. And with Christian Wilkins was supposed to be like this really dynamic duo in the middle. And Raekwon Davis got hurt. uh, I think it was a knee injury and is now on short-term IR. He should be coming back hopefully midway through the season, but obviously not for this game. John Jenkins is more of a veteran journeyman. And he had some, he's had some flashes um, in terms of run stuffs in the middle that were certainly nice to see, but I wouldn't actually say that this is one that immediately goes to Miami. The defensive line has been a point of contention and pass rush too, when we're talking about dolphins um, because there just hasn't been enough of it. So uh, this might actually be a wash. I know you guys, this is sort of a retool though, line, right? For, for yeah. So that's kind of where I was coming at is, uh, you know, Richie incognito, which obviously you guys know, well, um, no Jonathan Martin though, 
but uh, uh, Richie, he's been he was injured, missed all um, pretty much all of last year. He played like two games or whatnot, and in the second game, he played like five snaps, something like that. And uh, this year, during like the third week of training camp, he went down with a calf injury, and he hasn't practiced ever since. And I mean, the guy's 38 years old, 320 right. plus pounds. Like that's a lot of mass on those like lower limbs and, you know, repaired ligaments to, to be able to support. So it's kind of like, like a very weird situation where the Raiders aren't giving us a whole lot of information, but he hasn't practiced. And like I said, like over a month, hasn't played in the first two games. So obviously that's a huge loss for them up front. You know, he in the past, he's been one of their best offensive linemen or that I should say the one year he was healthy, he was their best sure. offensive lineman. And then, you know, they got rid of Rodney Hudson in the offseason, replaced him with Andre James. Andre James has struggled a lot, especially as a run blocker. He's a converted tackle. And I mean, he's like, I don't know, he might be a little wow, heavier now. Center. Yeah, don't see that he's, he's less than 300 pounds. Like he's like 298. He might be up there now. Now he's put some weight on, but he just really struggles there. And then at right guard, they had Denzel Good, who he tore his ACL about 15 plays into this year. So they've got three guys in the middle of their offensive line that, were backups a year ago. And then on the right side, our right tackle is Alex Leatherwood, who's a rookie who's also injured right now too. So that's where I'm kind of coming at where it's like the Raiders are just beat up up front and they're super young. You know, their left tackle Colton Miller is he's kind of become like the stalwart. He's the one darling of the five where he's actually been playing really well and honestly ascending into one of the top five, top 10 offensive tackles in the league right now. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the other four are just a lot of question marks. They have not looked good in well, pass protection and the running ball. The Raiders averaged like, like two point there. I looked it up actually before this, the Raiders are currently last in the league in yards per carry as a team with 2.9. Wow. So, and that's a hundred percent because of the offensive line just can't get any push and actually gets pushed backwards. So that's where I'm kind of like a little bit concerned about and, I mean, Christian Wilkins is a guy that I knew of, and I, you know, I've seen his highs. Obviously, I don't pay attention to the Dolphins as much, so you would know more than I do. So, hopefully, they catch him on a down week and whatnot. But uh, that was interesting. It's interesting to hear you say that's kind of where I was coming at. Yeah, I mean, rest- you guys, you guys played two pretty stellar defensive lines in the first this two weeks. That's precarious. So this is almost like could be a get right matchup for both teams. Right. Yeah, you know, that's true. and you just Who's don't know which, which way it's going to go. Um, you're talking about your running game, though. I just, I'd love to ask because as a fantasy fan, uh, this made no sense to me. Josh Jacobs was out last week and is per Gruden highly questionable. So you have Kenyon Drake, who Dolphins fans know well. This is an explosive guy, someone who can make big plays. And you have Peyton Barber, who I think, if Craig, I'm wrong, out carried Kenyon Drake last week. What's yeah, up well, with I think, that? Well, with, uh, I, I think it's funny, like when Jacobs got ruled out, John Gruden was asked, or like, so this means it's a big week for Kenyon Drake. He goes, I think it's going to be a big week for Peyton Barber. Not even prompted what the, what by Peyton hell, Barber. I mean, Peyton Barber, like, is a little bit more of a, a downhill running back, which is, I think, where he was coming at. And, like, you know, yeah. when you want to seal a game, that's the type of guy you want a little bit more. Whereas Drake, as you guys know, is a little bit more athletic. You want to, you know, spread him out on the outside. And while Peyton Barber did have more carries than Kenyon Drake, Kenyon Drake was getting a lot of, like, pat passes in like the check down game and kind of like you know spreading guys out and whatnot and getting those using that the the passing game as the extension of the running game right where you can get them in space a little bit more so ken and drake actually had more overall touches if you can count the receptions okay. he just didn't have as many carries but yeah i mean without jacobs like this is a running back career where 
they paid Kenyon Drake a ton of money in the offseason, or a ton of money, I should say, for a second running back. And then, yeah, I mean, we were all kind of flabbergasted. Like everyone who was in support of the Drake signing at the time was, you know, tooting their horns, like, oh, it doesn't look so bad now. And then they come out, and like you said, they they pretty much barely used them. So it's great. Uh, it's it is very strange for fantasy owners. I'm a Kenyon Drake fantasy owner, so I was actually kind of happy about it. But so I'm hoping hoping that trend continues, but I also hope Jacobs is back too. So we'll see what happens. Sure. But I want to wrap things up by talking about uh, Brian Flores for a second. You mentioned at the beginning of the show he was a coach of the year candidate, but a few years ago things weren't looking so pretty. He kind of came in, made made a bunch of changes, you know, like trading Laramie Tunsil, Minka Fitzpatrick. And it seemed like Forrest was kind of going to be one of these other, another Belichick disciple that's just kind of like going to come in and rule with an iron fist, make a bunch of changes his way or the highway. But it hasn't been. It hasn't. It's been the exact opposite. I think he's honestly one of the best young coaches in the NFL. So I'm curious about, you know, where you think Flores is as a coach. And, you know, can you be a little honest with me? And were you a little nervous at first when he came in and started trading all those guys? I was a little nervous. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I was a little nervous, especially because, you know, the history of the Belichick coaching right. tree is not, is not great. Um, another reason I was just a little bit nervous is because I'm one of those glass half full football fans. So I was like, oh, yeah, you know, Flores is coming in, new coach, but maybe we can compete this year. And then Tunsil's gone. And then Mika Fitzpatrick's <laughs> gone. And then Kenyon Drake's gone. And it's like, oh, so we're, we're not competing. <laughs> like, this is it's a tanker. But um, you know, you go through that as a fan and obviously, you know, you're excited about your, you're watching tankathon.com. You're going to draft, you know, you're saying, you, know, you like to watch the draft. So we were certainly as Dolphins fans all focused on that. And, you know, then over the course of his tenure, you were seeing the Dolphins win against teams they shouldn't win against, right? The team was always after those first couple of weeks where it was a real mess, they were pretty plucky and competitive, even through the year they were tanking. Um, and uh, over the course of last year, the 10 and six year, there were some games, again, there where you saw the team was down and continued to fight, right? And that's sort of Flores' thing is this competitiveness, this toughness, the coach the players want to run through a wall for, and the guy that everyone seems to have a great deal of respect for. So at this point, I'm certainly really excited. The one reservation I think I and a lot of Dolphins fans have at this point is there have been a lot of personnel misfires and miscues, right? In free agency, in the draft. And I think a lot of us are like, listen, we love that Flores seems to be able to coach the heck out of whoever's on this team. But how much involvement does he have about who's being put on the team? Is that all Chris Greer, the general manager, or is Flores really involved in that? Because some of that's got to get fixed. I know every NFL fan is upset when there are free agency, big contract right. misfires, when there are big draft misfires. And it seems a lot more magnified when it's on your team because you're overanalyzing every mm -hmm. single one. But there have been a lot. And so I, I am all in on Flores, the coach. I'm really hoping and think he can be the guy for the next five, six, seven, eight, 10, 12 years. Um, I'm just hoping that the right players are put on the team to help him, to help him get there uh, at this point. Now, I don't want to overreact to 135 to nothing loss, right? Gotcha. Tampa Bay got stomped at the beginning of last year and won the Super Bowl. Right. So this is not an overreaction to that at all. It's just some of the scouting has to be fixed and I honestly I have no idea what his involvement in that is but at this point given how we've seen the team perform under him how it seems like you know the players talk about him how much respect he has just from everyone in the building even the media seems to really respect him that's something you're just overall excited about so um you know at this point I full support and floor as we trust kind of thing awesome man I hear you and I, I uh trust me we know what it's like to have a coach that's uh might be a little too overbearing in the draft process so <laughs> 
Yeah, I get, and I don't know what its involvement is. Is like, yeah. what's your so best feeling? I know we're gonna wrap up, but as as a Raiders fan who has to at this point is kind of just tied to John Gruden because of his contract. Uh, what is a Raiders fan's perspective on him? Because he's uh, uh, the rest of us kind of just look and laugh a little bit because he, he yeah, that, that's the kind of personality he has. You know, he's he's, he's yeah, a funny for guy. sure. Uh, I mean, I think. I think, I mean, when you start out two and oh, and you know, Raiders have been good the last few years. I think, uh, I think most people are going to be pretty high on him and whatnot. And I mean, like you said, he's got a great personality. He wants to be the Raiders coach, which, you know, in yeah. years past, uh, there hasn't been that and whatnot. And like, he's actively wanted this job and, you know, speaks to Raider fans really well and gets everyone fired up. He's a great motivator. And I do think John Gruden is a good coach. And the reason is because I think John Gruden's a terrible talent evaluator but they're still winning games. Like you hear about all yeah. these first round picks and or these first round busts, you know, they got um, the last, what was it? The 2019 and 2020 draft classes, they had five first round picks. And like, I think PFS Mike Renner posted like about them. Only one of them was really producing in the first two games of the sure. season. And he was playing the lowest uh, value position in the NFL at running back, which is Josh Jacobs. So I think that's kind of where, I, at least me personally, like the kind of the rumor is that like John Gruden has, you know, full control and a full say final say over the, uh, over the early picks. And then kind of like, look, let's Mayock, um, let's Mayock take like the mid round and late round guys. And who knows how much truth there is to that. But I think with that kind of where that coming from, that kind of makes me a little bit weary as of him being in full control. But like you said, it's kind of like, we got this guy for a 10 year contract, might yeah. as well write it out with them. So it's definitely a little bit of that, but yeah, I mean, and again, I think I think if John Gruden, the talent evaluator, or John Gruden, the GM, could take a jack seat to John Gruden, the coach, the Raiders would be a lot better off. But you know, I don't know if that'll happen. So we'll see what happens. But fair enough. But Justin, I just want to thank you again for coming on. Really appreciate you. Where can the uh, where can the good people find you over on Twitter? Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me on Twitter. I'm at Hire Justin. That's at H I E R Justin. Um, and of course, I write for SB Nation, the Finsider. So. Uh, you could certainly find me and, uh, and and my articles on there. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute blast. I, uh, I really appreciate it. No problem, man. Really appreciate you coming on once again. Yeah. Give Justin a follow. Post a lot of good NFL content. We're all football fans here. Get, get to know the Dolphins a little bit better. But other than that, until next week, guys.